If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful air of Shabbos to all of you. Good to be with you again, to chat, to talk, to share ideas, to take a look at the Parsha, to see what life is all about, to understand what in fact Torah is going to tell us, and to take a personal lesson from the Parsha of the week to apply it to our lives to make it real, to make it relevant, to make it something which we understand to be a message none other than God himself talking to us through Torah. And this week's Parsha is an amazing Parsha, a huge Parsha, a Parsha that talks to us about the final moments of the exile in Egypt, the last three plagues, the last three plagues that crush and Egypt. It's a great and glorious Parsha, a Parsha that shows us ultimately that God truly rules the world, despite the fact that Pharaoh is arrogant. Pharaoh stands and says, I don't know this God. Pharaoh stands up and says, I don't know. I am in charge of the world. I am in charge of everything that has to do with the material and physical power and wealth of this world. Nonetheless, God tells him rather clearly and in no uncertain terms that he's making a big mistake. Moshe comes to Pharaoh again and again and again, demanding from Pharaoh, let my people go so they may serve me at the mountain. Pharaoh refuses. Pharaoh refuses not only because he happens to be a physically powerful person running a materially wealthy land, but because he wishes to defy God. He says God has no place in this physical world. He doesn't deny the fact that God created the world. He doesn't question the fact that God brought the world into being. What he does challenge is that God no longer has any interest in the world. God is too great. God is infinite. God is far beyond having any type of concern with any specific individual detail of the world. God is too enormous, argues Pharaoh. Pharaoh says that God is far too big to concern himself with the needs, with the individual needs, individual concerns of a physical world. And that's the great mistake that he makes. He doesn't understand that the greatness of God is not only in the infinity, not only in the greatness, not only in the vastness of creation, but in the detail of creation. This is the true greatness of God. Not only does he bring into being the entirety of all creation, but he's also able to address each and every single detail within creation as well. This is the great divide between Moses and Pharaoh. Moses says, my God, God, creator of heaven and earth, is also master of heaven and earth. He is the one who looks over each and every single detail of creation, each and every single individual within creation, whereas Pharaoh says no. Pharaoh says God has distanced himself from this physical world, and he's put human beings in charge. And this has been an ongoing argument throughout the ages very often it's not people who deny the existence of God that behave in a way which is against the will of God. They accept the existence of God. What they can't accept 
is that God is involved in what they call the minutiae of the world. That's the greatness of God. God not only is able to address the greatness, he's able to address the detail as well. And it's in this week's Parsha that we come to the great climax, the last three plagues, where God is going to show Pharaoh and all of Egypt, and indeed to all of humankind forevermore, that in actual fact he is concerned with the welfare of each and every single aspect of creation. And this is why he sends his messenger, Moshe, and he tells Moshe to instruct Pharaoh Let my people go. Let my people go so they may serve me at the mountain because at that mountain I am going to give them the Torah. I'm going to give them the book that contains the way of life to bring about the fulfillment, the ultimate purpose of creation, the great detail, the mitzvot, the commandments, each and every single one of them having infinite and ultimate purpose. This is the greatness of God. And it's in this week's Parsha, the Parsha of Bo, where we come to see this, where we come to understand this. And this is why, as the Parsha opens up, what does it say? God says to Moshe, Bo el Paro, come to Pharaoh. He doesn't say, go to Pharaoh, lech leparo. He says, come to Pharaoh. Now, what does the word come actually imply? One of two things. Number one, that God says, come, I will come with you. In other words, I will accompany you to Pharaoh. And one wonders, why is it necessary precisely at this point, the last three plagues, why is it necessary for God to accompany Moshe when he goes to challenge Pharaoh. After all, the might and strength of Pharaoh in Egypt has already been severely, severely challenged through the first seven plagues. Why is it necessary now for God to say, I will accompany you, I will come with you? It seems to suggest that an extra dimension of divine protection is necessary at this particular point. And this is why he says, come, I will accompany you. I will go along with you to Pharaoh. That's one way of looking at it. The other way is, in fact, far more complicated. When God says, come to Pharaoh, it might suggest that he is there already, that God is saying, I am within the palace of Pharaoh. I am within the throne room of Pharaoh. Come to Pharaoh because that's where I am. And one wonders, what is God doing in the palace of Pharaoh? What is God doing at the side of Pharaoh? That he has to say to Moshe, come to Pharaoh. And he says, come to Pharaoh. And what does God say after that? He says, come to Pharaoh because I have hardened his heart. And I have hardened the heart of his, well, of his court servants. And I will show him in order that I shall show him my signs and wonders within him and within his land. And the other thing which is told by God is so that you will be able to tell your children and your children's children how I've made mockery of Egypt and the wonders, the miracles, the signs that I've placed 
in Egypt in order that they should know God. Now, what's that all about? It seems to be an extremely dramatic statement. Come to Pharaoh. I've hardened his heart in order that I should show him my wonders. And for generations thereafter, you will tell your children that I have made mockery of Pharaoh in Egypt. And I've, well, shown them wonders that they should know God. What is that opening all about? And how does that actually tell us why God is saying, come to Pharaoh instead of going to Pharaoh? More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the view of Pharaoh, and not only Pharaoh, but all Egypt. In actual fact, the Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim, the root of which is Mezar. Mezar means limitation, something which is narrow, something which is an obstacle to truth. Something which hides the truth. This is what Mitzrayim is all about. This is what Pharaoh is all about. Pharaoh and Mitzrayim, they wish through, well, whatever they do, to hide the essential presence of godliness in the world. That's their ambition. And in so doing, they are able to justify their own behavior by hiding the presence of God. By denying the law of God. By saying that they are in charge. And they have the ultimate authority of deciding what's right and what's wrong. Well, ultimately they can do whatever they want. And as mentioned before, this has been a pattern of, well, political power, philosophical power, secular power throughout the ages. The Romans did it. The Greeks did it. Throughout history, we've seen people and nations who've argued this again and again. There is no presence of God, and if there's no presence of God, there's no presence of God's law. And therefore, it's up to human beings to decide what's right and what's wrong. And which human beings? Well, those who are in power, those who are strong, those who have the military might, the political power, the strength to determine what's right and what's wrong. Pharaoh will do whatever he can in order to sustain that type of power, that type of thinking. He is petrified. He is petrified at the notion that Moshe suggests that there is a God in this world. Because he knows, he knows that if there is a God in this world, there is a law of God that comes with it as well. Now, had Moshe come along and told Pharaoh, let my people go full stop, Pharaoh might have listened to that because he understands the political necessity to give certain Groups, minority groups, individual groups, national groups, to give them rights, to give them certain freedoms. But he hears something else in the words of Moshe. It's not that Moshe says, let my people go. The time has come for this group to have the right of self-expression. That's not what he says. What does Moshe say? Moshe says, 
let my people go so they may serve me. He says, let my people go, not so that they can become a free political entity, but rather that they could stand at Sinai to receive the Torah, the law of God, and to implement that law. Those positive and negative laws into this physical world. And that, that petrifies Pharaoh. It's not so much that he's against the political freedom that the Jewish people are asking for. He can deal with that because he is a master politician himself and he understands the vagaries. He understands the trends of power and he knows how to deal with that. But he understands as well if it comes together with a system of divine law, then he and his ideas, his might and his power is not only challenged, it will ultimately be crushed. And this is why he resists. And this is why Hashem keeps on saying he can't accept too early. Because if he does, it's a facade. It's a political ruse on his part. He has to go through not only one plague, not two plagues, but and plagues, each one teaching him a different dimension of God's presence, how God deals with the detail of the world, right and wrong is determined by the word of God and not by human beings. And this is why when it comes to this week's partial, the actual climax of the Exodus, the great liberation, when ultimately Pharaoh and Egypt will be crushed, what does God say? come to Pharaoh. We are now going to enter into the very essence of who he is. Not only into the palace, the physical palace of the throne room. We are going to enter into the center of power of that which Pharaoh represents. We are going to crush that notion, that idea, that philosophy that a human being can control the world and control what's right and wrong within that world and that's why God says, I will accompany you. Because as a human being, he will continue to challenge, continue to challenge. But when he recognizes that I am with you, that I am part of that, he will see within these last three plagues the incredible presence of godliness. Then he will fully understand the greatness of God. He will fully understand the presence of God. And this is what God says. I have hardened his heart because even though each one of these three is exceptionally powerful, he has to go through all three in order to understand the true significance of what's taking place. The removal of the arrogance, idolatry, false philosophy of what Egypt and Pharaoh stands for and to understand what in fact you, Moses, and the Jewish people stand for. It's not a political movement. It's not a political expression. It's the Avduni so that you can serve me. And this is when he turns around to Moshe and he says, make sure that you tell your children this story. Don't let them think that once upon a time there was a great man called Moses and he came to the people and he inspired them to demand freedom. From this tyrant Pharaoh, that's not what it was all about. 
What it was all about is changing the world, and this is why they have to understand how he salalti, I made mockery of Egypt and Pharaoh. Not only that, but they have to understand why it was necessary that I placed my signs within that land so they should know me, your children should know me. We have to understand what Jewish history is all about. The great exodus is not a story that happened once upon a time. It happened once a time. Of course it happened once upon a time. But that's not what we celebrate. That's not what we commemorate. That's not what we look to and for. We see this as the continuing presence of God within the world, understanding the purpose of creation, why he brought this world into being. And we have to understand that every single historical event, particularly those that we are involved in and with, is of incredible significance. Each and every one of those events, particularly the ones that the Jewish people are involved in, is another indicator of God removing the facade of falsehood in this world so that people should understand that God runs this world, each and every single detail of this world. And this is why we come across something very interesting in this week's Parsha. In this week's Parsha, while all of this is going on, the plague of the locust, the plague of the intense darkness, and ultimately, of course, the plague of the death of the firstborn, before the actual exodus, God appears to Moses and he says, I am going to give you now the very first mitzvah, the very first commandment to the Jewish people. And that's the mitzvah of declaring and recognizing the new moon every single month. HaChodesh Hazeh, the new month of Nisan, in which the story of Passover takes place, the story of Exodus takes place. And one wonders... Why couldn't God wait a couple of days until they left Egypt? Egypt was a corrupt, immoral land. Is this where the God should tell Moshe to instruct the Jewish people about their very first mitzvah? In fact, when we learn the book of Genesis of Horatius, Rashi, who is the main commentary, tells us that in actual fact, it's this mitzvah with which Torah should have begun. If in fact Torah is a book of instruction, the very first mitzvah is a chadish, that's how Torah should be done. This is such a great moment. Why was it necessary for God to give the Jewish people their very first communal mitzvah that's forever within the land of Egypt? But it's precisely there that this message has to be carried. Because it's not only a mitzvah, it's not only a commandment, it's not only an instruction to the Jewish people as to how they have to behave in terms of recognizing their months, etc., etc., often spoken about. But how they have to transform the immorality of Mitzrayim into a place of holiness and greatness. This is what it's all about. We are obligated to take divine commandments and use it to bring light and purpose into the world to expose the holiness 
of godliness that is contained within the world. It's precisely within Mitzrayim, within Egypt, that the Jewish people are given their very first commandment because it's precisely there that they have to understand that you can transform the world into a place of holiness, into a place of greatness. You know, very often people say, well, in a perfect situation, I can fulfill God's commandments. In a perfect situation, I can be a devout and pious Jew. That's not what it's all about. It's within an imperfect situation. It's within a situation of non-holiness. In a situation of darkness, in a situation of challenge, that I have to use my strength, I have to use my abilities, I have to use the power that I have the strength that I have in order to transform that situation into one of light and holiness and greatness. And this is why the very first mitzvah is not given at Sinai. It's not given in the holy land of Israel. It's given in the darkest of all places, in the land of Mitzrayim, in the land of Egypt, a land that is known for its immorality and for its corruption. This is what the Parsha is all about. God says, Bo, I am going to go with you. Bo el paro. Not go. Come to paro. I will be there with you. I am at your right hand side. I am there at every single situation. This is the strength of this week's Parsha. More of that soon. This is the Parsha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the incredible greatness of God, that not only does he have the ability of creating this immense creation, universe, but even more so, his ongoing concern to detail, divine providence, each and every single minute detail of creation, demands his attention, gets his attention, gets his concern. This is the true greatness of God. And toward the end of the Parsha, we see a couple of times where the Torah tells us, your children might ask you in generations to come, what's this all about? What happened over there? What took place at that great story? What took place at that moment of liberation of Exodus? And we tell the story again and again. But there are two things that we have to remember because two things stand out. Just prior to the liberation, the Jewish people had to paint the doorposts of their house with, well, the blood of the Korban Pesach, of the Paschal Sacrifice, and from the Brit Milah, from circumcision. And toward the end of the parasha, we speak about the commandment of putting on film. Two signs. One sign that indicated this house, this home, is a Jewish home. And another sign, the tefillin, which indicate this individual is a Jewish individual. This is the message. This is the story that we have to tell our children. Our homes are unique and different. Our very person is unique and different. We have to have the ability, we have to have the courage to stand out and to appear differently. You know, our homes might look the same, our bodies might look the same. But on close examination, our homes have to portray a different type of identity. 
and our personalities, our bodies have to display a different type of identity as well. Because we are who we are as a result of that great story that took place in Mitzrayim thousands of years ago, we have a great mission to fulfill within God's world. We have to fulfill a great mission in this world to bring about the revealed presence of godliness within this world. In our generation, we were extremely privileged to find out precisely what that mission is all about. This coming Wednesday is the 10th of Shvat, Yud Shvat. A new Shvat we commemorate the yard site of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Schneerson, who passed away in 1950. Also, we celebrate on that day, Yud the day that our Rebbe, Rabbi Nachem Mendel Schneerson, of sacred memory, became the leader, the Rebbe of Lubavitch. And that day is an exceptionally important day, not only within the family of Chabad Lubavitch, when we celebrate well, the greatness of the Rebbe, the Rebbe who took the leadership of Chabad from a relatively small community at the time in 1950-51 and turned it into the, well, the great organization that it is today. There's hardly a corner of the world that doesn't have a direct influence of the Rebbe through his emissaries, through his organizations and institutions, but more than that. There is a Hasidic essay connected with that today, which speaks about fulfilling the purpose of God's creation. When God created the world, he wanted to have a dwelling place here below in the physical world. And while all sorts of things happened since that time, good things, not such good things, that ever explains that there is the seventh generation, and we're part of that seventh generation, that will ultimately fulfill the purpose of developing and building a dwelling place for God here below in the physical world. This is our duty, this is our job. Yes, what Pharaoh fought against, what Pharaoh was petrified of, of allowing a divine presence in the world that will determine right and wrong. And throughout the ages, we went through tremendous difficulties in order to ensure that the law of God is paramount. In our generation, each and every one of us has the ability of doing just that. And how do we do it? As I said before, by making sure that our homes are a little bit different, and they reflect a Jewish identity. By making sure that we ourselves reflect a Jewish identity, that we ourselves are a little bit different. And that is what the Rebbe taught us. That is what the Rebbe stood for. The Rebbe took a look at the world in 1950-51. What kind of world was it? A post-Holocaust, post-war world? a torn world, a hurt world, and he elevated it. He spoke to each and every single individual, inspired them, 
And he spoke to them about their potential, about their strength, about their greatness. He spoke to them about their ability, their incredible divine duty, their incredible privilege of being one of those people that will have the ability of changing the world for better, doing acts of goodness and kindness, fulfilling the commandments, doing specific individual things that will change the world. That's the answer to our children. Not long philosophical answers, not involved ideas that sometimes we ourselves don't understand. Being good examples, showing that we ourselves are prepared to do the right thing and teaching our children to do the right thing as well. So when you're in shul tomorrow, listen to this parsha. It's a fascinating parsha. From the opening words where God says, come to Pharaoh. And then you see the locust destroying whatever is left of the agricultural. You see the story of the darkness, a crippling darkness, the plague of the firstborn, the Passover sacrifice, the greatness of the Exodus, the tremendous mitzvahs that are given in this week's Parsha. It's a glorious and powerful Parsha. It speaks to us. It speaks to every one of us. Listen carefully. It speaks to you and me as well. Individually, we see Pharaoh being crushed. We see the darkness of Egypt being removed. We feel the glory. We feel the greatness. We should listen carefully. Good Shabbos.